Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. The attacks in Brussels this week are accelerating an already heated conversation in Europe about the unrelenting movement of refugees from the Middle East to the continent. And this is despite the fact that of the known attackers so far, none actually seem to be from the Middle East. Rather, they were Belgian citizens. Still, the attacks on Tuesday came just days after the EU sealed a highly controversial agreement with Turkey in which refugees arriving to the Greek islands would be expelled back to Turkey. In exchange for every refugee sent back, the EU would accept someone who did not try to make the trip. And for this, Turkey is to receive billions in aid and fast-track negotiations for visa-free travel to the EU for Turkish citizens. This agreement is highly maligned by the United Nations and refugee advocates for reasons I discuss with a UN official and a refugee advocate. This episode is in two parts. First, I speak with Melissa Fleming, a spokesperson for the UN Refugee Agency, also known as UNHCR. She offers a ground's eye view of how this new deal is affecting the work of the UN Refugee Agency and explains why UNHCR is refusing to collaborate in the implementation of this agreement. Next, I speak with Michel Gabaudin, president of Refugees International, who discusses the parameters of the deal and does a really good job of putting it in a larger context of global refugee policy. As always, you can get in touch with me via globaldispatchespodcast.com, where you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, get the app, and peruse our robust archives. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And now here is Melissa Fleming of the UN Refugee Agency. Uh, we've had over 700 mostly refugees from Syria and Iraq arriving in Greece. Um, the idea is that that they will be returned uh, to Turkey unless they ask for asylum on the Greek islands, uh, until which time they will be kept in detention. Now, how that asylum process is going to work, whether they would be able to stay in Greece um, if they were granted asylum, or they, whether they would still be transferred back to Turkey under this arrangement is still yet to be seen. There's still a lot of questions left. So, um, again, there's another element in the deal which um, is, is supposed to encourage legal avenues, legal routes uh, to Europe, as opposed to risking lives on the, uh, on the, the sea route. And that is for every Syrian uh, returned, there will be one Syrian uh, resettled or brought to Europe. So 
it won't be the same Syrian who was returned. And we also have to emphasize that there are the second two populations that are arriving are from Afghanistan and from Iraq, and they do not um, fall under this category. Uh, and so why has the UN Refugee Agency and other UN entities been so critical of this deal? What, what What's the big problem from your perspective? Well, what when transferring, first of all, we don't, we when there was an initial draft of this deal it, it called for the basically that everybody who arrives on the greek islands to be collectively returned to turkey that is against international law um we every person needs to have their asylum claim heard there are individual circumstances for people there are children traveling alone um, there are people at high risk uh, for other reasons, um, perhaps victims of um, all kinds of things that you can imagine, traumatized people, um, LGBT cases. So every we stipulated, and this did get into the final text, that every person arriving will have the right to an individual interview. And, and everybody returned has to have the chance to be able to seek asylum in Turkey. Our concern is that neither of, in neither country, neither Greece nor in Turkey, are these systems in place as we speak right now um, to handle these kinds of numbers, to handle um, these kinds of very complex um, cases on an individual basis. And now the European Union says it is going to be um, bringing in um, over 2,000 um, experts, judges, and, and other asylum experts to, to handle this. Uh, we think the jury is still out. We are on Lesbos right now. Um, all that we have seen is that the registration centers have now turned into detention centers. What do you mean by that? Well, originally, what was foreseen and what UNHCR actually had called for all along, you know, we are also... Um, not uh, happy with the way people were arrived, the highway to Europe um, that was unregulated um, and only led to about three countries, uh, Austria, Germany, and, and Sweden. Um, for a long time, we called for, for management and order at the first country of arrival, and that was mainly Greece. And that would be in the form of registration centers, screening centers, and then a, a huge European-wide kind of quota system. Um, now, this started to happen, but very slowly. And these these were uh, basically facilities that are somebody named, for some reason, hotspots that were established on the Greek islands um, that were there to register people. But basically what they did was they registered, screened them, and then sent them on. Um, so they did have their names, they did have their fingerprints, uh, they did have their countries of origin, uh, but basically after that they were just given um, a piece of paper that allowed them to get on a ferry, go to the mainland, and then continue on their journey. What these centers have now turned into um, are detention centers where people who do come are now kept. Um, they are also registered. They're screened. Hopefully, they're asked. Um, they'll be asked uh, if they want to ask for asylum, um, and many of them will be advised that they will be returned to Turkey. 
And so are they not presumably allowed to leave these centers? They're not allowed to leave these centers. And so how has the job of UNHCR on the Greek island, on Lesvos, changed since Sunday? And we're speaking on Tuesday. And you said over the last you know, two days, at least 700 new people have arrived uh, on Lesvos. So what is UNHCR doing differently now that these new restrictions are in place? Yes. So, you know, well, every, things are changing, you know, by the hour. Um, and we've had to really very rapidly look at um, our operational um, red lines and our, you know, things that we will do, things that we won't do. In principle, and this is everywhere in the world, UNHCR has a policy that we um, are, are against mandatory detention of people seeking asylum. Um, and uh, so this, in principle, we've said that we will no longer work in those facilities where we were very active uh, before providing um, humanitarian assistance, et cetera. We will be there monitoring the situation. So we will have information on what's going on there, but we will not be actively working in those facilities, nor will we be transporting people there. We will still be at the shores, um, helping to save lives um, and to provide basic information uh, to the extent that we uh, really understand uh, what is happening and what people's rights are. Uh, we do, in these last couple of days, we were <laughs> refugees and uh, asylum seekers arriving were bewildered. Um, they had not really gotten word. Some of them had, but they didn't really understand what that meant, or some thought it was temporary. Um, the, there are a few who we met who had just, you know, come straight out of Syria and said, well, anyway, there are no bombs here, so it's better better than that. But we'll have to see um, how this is implemented um, in order to judge whether the safeguards that we've asked for to be put in place are actually implemented. And so it's just too soon to tell. Like you said earlier that the EU has a plan in theory to send a number of judges and, and asylum experts down to the Greek islands to adjudicate some of these individual asylums claims. But the expectation, at least to me, seems that many, if not most, of the new arrivals on the Greek islands will probably in some way be forced back to Turkey. That's correct. That's um, basically um, what is in the in the in the deal. And there we are also um, asking for certain guarantees that do not exist at this time um, in Syria for certain populations. And um, also even for the Syria population, we want to be assured that uh, they will be received um, again under the so the so-called temporary protection regime that that Turkey very generously has offered Syrians um, that they will be able to have access to um, to services um, and and you know that they can have a decent life as as a refugee there. There are other populations, particularly Afghans and Iraqis, who uh, do not enjoy this temporary protection regime. And right now, um, if they were to apply and and seek protection in Turkey, it's it's not. Um, where we believe it should be um, in order for this to be an agreement that would be in line with what we think the standards that would be required. Um, so it seems that before this agreement came into effect, say last week, um, the sort of situation on the ground uh, was one in that refugees, as you said earlier, were, were, were sort of allowed to 
uh, travel to the mainland in Greece. But once in the mainland uh, of Greece, they're sort of trapped there. All the borders surrounding Greece are pretty much shut. So you have this buildup of, of over 10,000 people on the border of Macedonia. I've seen uh, reports of, of just encampments of refugees throughout cities like Athens. Uh, so, so the, the sort of a European wide problem was seemingly, um, uh, sort of focused on on Greece as a whole, but now uh, it seems, the, from what you're describing, that people are still going to continue to arrive on the Greek islands. But now the buildup uh, will just be on the Greek islands itself, as opposed to say on the Greek mainland itself. And that, to me, seems like almost a humanitarian disaster in, in the making. Well, we already have a humanitarian disaster uh, in Greece um, on the border. Uh, between Greece and the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, there is a humanitarian disaster. People are living in in terrible conditions. Uh, like burning in, plastic, I saw in in, yeah. in, in a latest burning press release. Plastic living in mud, um, and in in you know we're doing our best as UNHCR um, to get to these these people. I mean, the Greek government is, is trying to evacuate. Uh, there's everybody is holding out hope that the border is, is going to open and that's why they're staying there. Um, the Greek government has established some camps that are really, if you can call a refugee camp decent, they are at least more decent than the, the camps, uh, in Edomenia and the border. Um, they're trying to transfer, um, people back so they can live in, 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 in dry, hygienic um, conditions, better conditions. Uh, and UNHCR is is doing our best to uh, support the Greek government and provide, um, you know, shelter and warmth and um, with partners, uh, medical care, et cetera. But it was a sudden group of people um, who are now in quite desperate need I think the other thing that is really going to be very, very difficult to address is, you know, taking care of people, making sure they're they're warm and, and they they have uh, access to to um, you know showers and, and toilets and and decent food and and healthcare is one thing. Taking care of their psychological health uh, is another, and we have a lot of people uh, who have fled straight from Syria. Um, we have many people who have family members in Northern Europe um, and who are trying to get to them, to reunite with them. We have Afghans who have um, given up their life savings um, and to smugglers, uh, trekked for you know two months and experienced awful things along the way. Every one of them risked their lives uh, on rubber dinghies crossing the Aegean. And all of a sudden, their journey was cut off. Um, they feel really uh, frustrated and, and, and bewildered and powerless. And, and this is an awful state for a human being to be in. And that's very, very difficult to address. Um, can I ask, is there almost like a, a moral or policy dilemma facing um, UN refugees 
right now, pardon me, the UN Refugee Agency right now with respect to how to handle these hotspots that were once transfer facilities but are now detention facilities. I mean, you said earlier that, um, you know, on principle, UNHCR does not cooperate in the detention of refugees. Uh, but if not UNHCR to provide humanitarian assistance to people at these uh, transfer slash detention centers, then who? Who's going to provide for them? Well, we believe that the European Union is able to provide um, you know, humanitarian assistance if they're going to be providing all of these ju judges and et cetera. I mean, we thought that the European Union wouldn't need UNHCR in Greece um, last summer. We operate mostly in developing countries where they really do need us. They don't have the wealth. Um, but actually, in the end, uh, UNHCR was called upon to provide really big operational assistance in Greece. We have something like 300 people working there. Um, but we do have, you know, our, our role is to uphold, um, you know, the Refugee Convention. Our, we have, uh, we operate under, um, you know, international um, human rights law. And so there, you know, there are certain things that we will do and certain things that we won't. And that's what we, we made clear today. Obviously, we will continue to help um the Greek government provide, you know, decent conditions. We will continue to advocate um, for the protection of people uh, in need and particularly vulnerable uh, people. I've been to Greece uh, several times. I've been to Lesbos. I've been to uh, many parts uh, where, where there are refugees. I've spoken to them. And the population is um, majority women and children, <laughs> There are lots of vulnerable people. There are lots of traumatized people. Um, they needed to be treated. They need to be treated not just with dignity, but with um, with special care. And um, we will be there to try to make sure that happens. Uh, well, Melissa, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate this. It was a pleasure talking to you. And now here's my conversation with Michel Gabaudin of Refugees International. Well, it, it started with some premises that I think were were, were right, which is the idea that uh, Turkey would benefit from more international assistance to uh, ease the stay of refugees and of Syrian refugees in Turkey. I mean, they have over 2.7 million right now. And the second one was to bring some order in the extremely chaotic movement that we've seen uh, in Greece and then uh, northwards towards Germany and Sweden, etc. So these premises were not necessarily bad. You know, it was ethically okay. You know, treat people better, and uh, and and bring some order in some sense of organization. It was important uh, for public opinion, but uh, they these premises have been overtaken by the geostrategical uh, geo interest of both parts in ways that have accelerated the deal with conditions that are difficult. And these geostrategical considerations have been for Europeans basically trying to put a stop to the movement so that they would uh, show they control their borders and sort of pacify the, the rising clamor of, uh, of uh, very right-wing uh, elements in, in different European countries. And... The second one is the Turks have said, well, we have quite a few things we want from the EU. And, you know, on the conditions that the, the Turks have asked from the EU, there is nothing really for the refugees. So right now you have a deal that offers the following. Uh, one, for Turkey, it is an acceleration of the discussion on visa-free travel for Turks in Europe. 
and uh, a resumption of the negotiation on accession to the EU, at least on some chapters. Um, and so then basically, third, it seems like Turkey was using the presence of um, millions of refugees in their borders, many of whom want to travel to Europe as bargaining chips for their own political and geostrategic interests. Well, there is much, there is much of that. But also from the EU, there is a, a fairly cynical thing, which is to say, well, you know, because the, the, the movement of refugees and migrants have become such a political hot potato in Europe, we have to put a stop to that as quickly as possible. And therefore, this, um, uh, in the agreement, this provision for the return of all illegal migrants to, to Turkey. When they initially started discussing that, there was this sort of fear of collective return, which would be against every human rights agreement that the EU has signed. Right. You and can't now, like like forcibly transfer entire populations yeah. ba- based on their nationality back to another country. Yeah. That's just like against any common international law. Well, and for Europe, of course, it, it, it reopens uh, wounds that they rather keep uh, closed. Yeah. So, so it, 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 it does also talk to historical issues that are that are painful. Um, so they've they've sort of arranged that a little bit by saying, well, uh, Europe will process those who have an asylum claim. You know, uh, so that we will respect our the fact that we signed the refugee convention, etc. And that's why they are now preparing to send 4,000 people, uh, experts from different countries of the EU to help the Greeks to, to process those who would have an asylum claim. What is not very clear is that what would happen to them, because right now the places they have for relocation are less than the numbers already in Greece uh, before the agreement comes into force. So what would they do with uh, additional numbers that may have indeed a refugee claim uh, is not clear at all. And the last element in the deal, of course, is that they would uh, commit themselves to resettle one Syrian that has not tried to come to Europe uh, for every Syrian that is returned to, uh, to Turkey. And that sort of seems to be uh, wanting to pass a very clear message to Syrians that if you try uh, to come to Europe, you lose all your chance ever to be resettled. So it's uh, like a message to say, stay put, and we'll eventually take care of you. But it's pretty, uh, I think, vicious in certain sense that if Turkey were, for example, to manage to stop the outflow uh, quite dramatically, uh, and we've seen in the past that they've been able to do that in last November, uh, team of my colleagues went to Greece just after the EU started speaking about the 3 million. And after uh, weeks where you had about 7,000 arrivals per day, for five days, just after they mentioned the 3 million, there was not one single arrival. And I cannot imagine that this is the smugglers just saying, let's wait and see. You know, so that obviously there was some ability of the Turks to uh, uh, to prevent that uh, that movement, so that what it says to me is that if the Turks were to to reduce dramatically the outflow in order to accelerate uh, the obligation of the EU to negotiate what Turkey is interested in, like the visa fee travel for for Turkish yes. citizens and and other talks with the EU, and presumably also like a financial package, I think as yes. well, right? Yes. Uh, but that means their commitment to resettle would would uh, would be would not stand anymore, and the only way to bring 
uh, con some control to the, to, to, to the tremendous multi-billion dollar of the smuggling ring is not just police action against the smuggler. It's also trying to address the reason why people move. And I would have hoped that the EU would have had an offer for orderly departure from Turkey, uh, Jordan and Lebanon at the same time, uh, through resettlement, through work visa, through student grants, through family reunification, that was not contingent on the number that are returned, but that would be a true offer of a burden sharing with the countries that have hosted um, Syrians in large numbers for the past uh, five years. And so therefore, this one against one uh, arrangement is that we'll resettle one for every one that we return, I think is quite sordid, you know. It's uh, it's not creating the concept of burden sharing that, that, that should have been brought into a real discussion that benefits refugees. And it's also even... Even still, it's also sort of stingy, right? It's, they're only saying one for one up to 72,000, yeah, uh, which, which is nowhere near the amount of uh, that, that would presumably be required under like any normal burden sharing arrangement. Like what, like 800,000 uh, yes. migrants have, have, have arrived in Europe yeah. over the last year alone, right? Yeah. Now, not all of these are perhaps uh, bona fide refugees, you know, so some may be uh, economical migrants. And this is where there should be more clarity that, you know, people who migrate for economical reason or who just want to try to transform their need for protection into an immigration outcome should be weeded out from those who really have a genuine, uh, a, a genuine um, uh, refugee claim. And when they talk about assessing this claim in an expedited manner, I think you add one worry is that what does that mean, expedited manner? You know, um, if they want to run the interview, the appeal in, in just a few days, um, I, I'm not quite sure what is, uh, what is understood uh, there. So, so there are quite a few uh, red lights in this, in this agreement, let alone the mere um, aspect of returning large number of people. You know, that requires quite an enforcement uh, element uh, that will not serve the EU very well. Uh, yeah, like in, images in of, of refugees being forced, what, at gunpoint onto boats to be sent back to Turkey. It, yeah. it, it just sounds, it just sort of shocks the conscience uh, a little bit. Um, yeah. So we're speaking on Tuesday. This deal came into force on Sunday. So there's just been a couple of days. But in those couple of days, there's been several hundred people, 700 new arrivals yeah. on the Greek Isles. Um, how do you see this playing out over the next few weeks? Like, what 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 do you think is going to happen here? Well, I think a couple of things. I mean, what we've seen is also uh, on the Turkish side, uh, there have been reports. I mean, this is secondhand information, but there, there have been reports of uh, uh, of people being intimidated by Turkish officials into leaving, etc. So, I think everybody will test the water, see really how is that going to work out. Let's try to go and see and see if we make it. And probably the most courageous of the people who are on the Turkish side and hoping to go are taking their chances with the, with the, with the smugglers. Um, it's, it's a slightly lower rate of movement than we've seen in the past week. So obviously there has been a, a dowsing of the enthusiasm, but it has not killed it altogether. And I think depending on how the process of, um, of processing asylum claim will go, 
uh, we'll see more move and, and of returns, we'll see more of movement. There is one interesting element also. I mean, the, right now in Greece, uh, about 55% of the people who have arrived in the, in the last uh, few months are non-Syrian. They are Iraqis, Afghans, Somalis, and then a few Eritreans and, and Africans from other nations. And only 45% are Syrians. Now, in Turkey, the non-Syrian are 250,000 against 2.7 million Syrian. So it seems that there has been uh, an over-representation of non-Syrian among the people who've moved to, towards, um, towards Europe. And why quite a few of these, and I'm thinking of the Afghans, certainly, uh, probably uh, will have a, a justified uh, refugee claim. You know, many probably are also uh, trying to transform their experience in countries that are in trouble into, into an immigration outcome. And it's going to be very difficult for people who process to make a determination on sh who should we owe protection to and who we don't. You know, these are not easy determination to make when people come from countries that are in trouble. Uh, and yet they are important if you want to safeguard the, uh, the fundamental um, principle of, uh, of asylum and, and, and uh, right to protection. Alrighty, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our two guests. You know, I didn't plan on doing this episode um, in the wake of uh, a major terrorist attack. I did want to do something on this refugee refugee deal because it is so disastrous. And the attacks, I think, they'll offer uh, something of a an additional complication uh, to the whole refugee crisis more broadly. But frankly, probably will accelerate the downfall of this deal because since recording the little intro here, I just saw on the news that Poland uh, is going to back out of this deal. It's not going to accept any refugees whatsoever. So you know, congratulations, Poland. See you next time. Bye.